seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is a ritual. Bra! Välkommen tillbaka till Den här podden är en rituell. Jag är din co-host Lisa Ann Markusson. Jag är här med Trollkarlen som är världsberömd, Devin Persson. Hej! Hej Devin, tack så jättemycket för att du kom hit. Uh, vi ska bara prata lite, ta det lugnt, verkligen. Uh, medan vi slutar med vår rituell av att resa runt Sverige. Ja, precis. Och jag har en ord. En magisk ord. Du redan har ditt magiskt ord. Ja. Vad är det? Allmansrätt. Allmansrätt. Okej, okay, låt oss säga allmansrätt tillsammans med tre. Mm-hmm. Ett, en, två, två, tre. tre. Allmansrätt. And now welcome to the English speaking portion of this mm-hmm. podcast as a ritual's final installment of our Swedish series. Well, we can't say final, final. Of our original Swedish series. Final of episode or season one. It's like British TV. Yeah, it's like, you know, they do series one. So that's mm-hmm. that's what we're doing here. We re-listened to our pre-Sweden discussion in preparation for this while we were in California in the um, depressurization chamber at the end of our Sweden trip. And now we have landed safely back in Louisville, Kentucky, And I'm really excited to very intentionally reflect and just set the stage for the next adventure. Yeah, there's an Ursula Le Guin quote that I thought about as we were getting ready to leave. It it might come up in other things, but I know it from The Dispossessed. And it's true voyage is return. And I think the idea is that when you go on one of these quests, you only really can see the whole thing when you've come back home and you have that moment to kind of process everything. But for me, it was also a little sad because I've had this experience on so many travel adventures where when you're in it, it's amazing, everything feels magical. And then when you get on that plane ride home, it's like it's like waking up from a dream. That's the best way you I can describe really it. You were really worried about that feeling, weren't you? Well, it's such a weird feeling because it. I think part of it is... Well, and to be clear, you mean... Waking up from a dream as in like you had a beautiful dream mm-hmm. and now you realize that you actually don't get to live in the dream. You have to live in reality. Well, and it, and it fades in a way. Like when mm-hmm. you're in the dream, everything is so vivid, so real. You're totally present. And then you wake up and you're like, oh, I had a dream and there was like a stand-up contest on an airplane. <laughs> but they were serving everyone bacon and like it doesn't capture what the experience was. And I think there's a similar thing where you come back You enter your regular world, and none of your friends, no one else that you know, shared those experiences with you. And unless, especially they, not in the case of our trip, because we didn't 
share anything on social media. We could have gone to a completely different country for all anyone knows. Exactly. We were in Switzerland <laughs> the whole time. Um, but yeah, no one knows what you went through. And unless you find someone who's also been there and then goes, oh, yeah, then you can kind of chat. But otherwise, it's again like telling someone about your dream mm-hmm. and they'll ask you the story. They'll kind of politely nod. They'll be like, wow, that sounds so fun. But it's just a sliver of what that lived experience was. But that's why I'm excited to have this podcast container for us to pour that magic into because the other side, and we talked about this last night as we started to see friends, is I've found myself telling the story over and over sometimes when you come back from Mm -hmm. a trip. There's one of those highlight moments and it's like it becomes this um, photocopy of a photocopy as you're like, let's tell the story It becomes a myth. Yeah, but I think a myth grows, right? Like a myth starts to add on stuff. Well, I think our like our meeting story is kind of mythic at this point. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'm the optimist. Yes, and I'm the cranky one. Um, <laughs> hey, let's let's share the ambivalence or whatever the Brene Brown split, and Esther Perel split the ambivalence. Split yeah. the ambivalence. Uh, okay, you can be a little cranky too. Um, <laughs> well, before we get too far afield. Uh, which is the perfect way to introduce it. Let's explain the magic word. What's, well, what's almonds red? I, I honestly want to just kick it right back to you because it's something that I've been aware of for quite some time and I've always thought was pretty crucial difference between the American like punitive, legal, grab what you can and run kind of mentality versus the mentality in Sweden. But you, as someone who's relatively new to it, it was really captivating for you and very freeing for you. Um, so I'd like you to explain your experience of Almansret. Sure. So Almansret is a law, public policy mindset, which says that all land is available for public use in a limited way. So you can't just go and cut down anybody's tree or farm on anybody's backyard, but you can walk around and even sleep and camp uh, on pretty much any land. So if you're right next to somebody's house, that's a no-go. If it's somebody's active farmland, that's a no-go. But other than that, you can't just say, oh, I own these acres and acres of forest private property, no trespassing, keep out. It's everybody's right to be able to walk through that forest. And the moment where it became Which is exactly what the word means. All man's threat. And you don't have to speak Swedish to probably figure out what each syllable entails. Yeah. And the moment that it became crystal clear for me was when we were going on a little hiking adventure on one of our final days. And we're in a, one of the best days. One of the best days. It was awesome. But we're in an area where it's near a lake. It's north of Stockholm in this um, uh, Sweden's oldest city, Sigtuna. And so we start off from our hotel. So we're walking along a kind of waterfront park. And then that leads us into a more residential neighborhood. And then from there, we can veer off on a trail into the woods. And as we're in the woods for a while... It comes back out, and there's kind of a boat marina area, and we walk through that, and then we get back into the woods. And then we come out, and we're at somebody's horse farm. And in my American mindset, I'm like, oh, okay, like, how do we navigate through this? Yeah, there was a little bit of like a, not fear, but a walking 
very delicately kind of not wanting to encroach on someone's space, fearing maybe running into someone being like, what are you doing here? Yeah. And in my life, especially my teenage years, I've employed my own personal almonds rut and gone Mm -hmm. many places that were private property. And so I'm used to this to some extent, but there was just sort of a path. Like it was just, okay, wait, there's horses there. There's a fence there. Oh, the path goes this way. Let's keep following it. Oh, that goes into a paddock. Let's follow it that way. And then suddenly we're back in a meadow and suddenly we're back in a forest. And as soon as we got to the other side and it was just so fluid and easy, I realized it was like one of those moments when the image of the lamp suddenly becomes two ladies' faces (laughs) that it's just a totally different mindset. Instead of this idea of, I don't want anyone coming on my horse farm. How dare they? I'm going to block things off. Barbed wire. You get out of here. Someone goes, oh, people need to cross my horse farm. How do I make that simple and easy? And if I make that simple and easy, then they don't wander into my barn or go places I don't want them. They're trying to get to the other side of the field. So there's a little bit more of a living out the idea of innocent until proven guilty. You assume that people have positive or neutral intent mm-hmm. and, and and it works out, I guess. It seems like it works for them. Yeah. So instead of having this attitude of, I don't want anyone encroaching on my stuff, I perceived this attitude of, oh, I have an obligation to be respectful of other people and help them with their desires of getting where they want to go. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I don't want to have this podcast just be uh, Sweden's perfect, America's bad. Uh, But I think that mindset is one that feels so different, especially, you know, America's been kind of sliding for a while. But I think post-pandemic, we're all starting to see the cracks in an even bigger way. But I think that was the one. Yeah, but remember that one time we were at that one train station? Mm Mm-hmm. And we couldn't find the bus because of the bad design of the train station. The one time that happened? Yeah. yeah. That, still, they're not perfect. That's true. That was a very badly designed train station. Yeah. Vehwa, get your act together. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I just thought was kind of cute and I wanted to share with you was, you know, when we listened to the pre-trip discussion, I was kind of worried that I was going to be just cringing and not even like the sound of my voice. and kind that of you sound like this the whole time. <laughs> and I just was so pleasantly surprised by how much I love the sound of our voices together. Mm-hmm. And I think we both have kind of low voices, but not super, super low. Oh, yeah. And they blend beautifully. And I liked listening to the conversation. I didn't find us to be too obnoxious. And that was really cool. (laughs) Yeah. Nice, non-biased audience there. Yeah. Well, I mean, usually you're your worst critic, aren't you? Sometimes, yes. (laughs) What do you mean? And sometimes you're your biggest fan. Well, yeah, but uh, it's common with disliking the sound of your voice. When I hear my voice on my like voicemail, for instance, Mm -hmm. or on other things, I've been like, ugh. No, I I, I totally understand that. And I'm in the unique position that I've been doing this for five years. (laughs) So I'm, I'm quite used to it at this point. I was thinking that while we did a really, I mean, we did such a thorough job of planning and we knew a lot of what we were going to encounter and fulfilled a lot of our Mm -hmm. goals and dreams and experiences. It was funny listening to us and just thinking about our past selves and being like, wow, you guys have no idea how it's actually going to feel. Like how amazing it's going to be to sense 
in your body all of the different things that you're going to do. We had them all on paper. Yeah. But to live them out was just unbelievable. Yeah. So I want to I want to editorialize here and just say um, we're not going to do a chronological, you know, diary here. But if you're interested in that, we did record more chronological diary updates for the mm. Patreon. So uh, you can go to patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual and hear all about the trip in depth if that's what you're looking for. How much does it cost to get access to those little... $4.20. $4.20 per month. $4.20. What a bargain. Which is like a cup of coffee. Exactly. Even in Louisville. It's like having a cup of coffee with us. Oh, it really yeah. is. Mm -hmm. You can have your little fika and listen to the more kind of granular play-by-play -play yeah. of all the adventures we had. Even cheaper, actually, because if you bought us a cup of coffee, you'd have to buy two, and then we'd probably want a cinnamon bun each. So it would be much more expensive. I mean, let's be reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> with that being said, there was a moment, though, I think when we were at the retreat, and it was like, I knew we were coming to the retreat. I've even talked to quite a few of the people that were going to be here. And yet we're in this moment and it's unlike, like I, I couldn't vision it. And yet at the same time, it felt so normal and natural and like, ah, of course this is the outcome. And so I think some of the trip had that feel where we had, our previous past selves had done a good job of setting us up. They planned it. Those experiences kind of followed the outline and that was amazing. But I think we experienced some really powerful magic in our detours so I thought maybe we could share a few of our favorite unexpected moments, detours, uh, those times where it seems like nothing's going to happen or something bad's going to happen, and then suddenly it goes a very interesting way. When did you think something bad was going to happen? I don't know if I ever thought anything bad was going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, oh, no, no, no. I, 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 I've got one, but we'll get to it. Oh, now I'm scared. I mean, the obvious one is how much we just played it by ear when we were in Copenhagen mm -hmm. and and just riding the wave of adventure. And it helped that it was Pride Weekend and uh, the Louisiana Festival and the city was just pretty much like going all out for the kind of like last weekend of summer vibe. Yeah. Um, the whole end of August, I feel, was really just packed with people trying to like get that last epic, sunny, party, awesome adventure They wanted to lick the batter of the sun. Exactly, exactly. exactly. So just quick context. Uh, after we went to the Art 23 Magical Retreat, we headed into Copenhagen. Uh, we got there on Friday to go see Haruki Murakami speak at the Louisiana Literature Festival. Spoiler alert, he is a perfect writer and has never struggled <laughs> with writing in his life. Yeah, his advice on writing was, oh, I just write when I feel like writing, and I don't write when I don't feel like writing. But he writes <laughs> all the time. Job. So, um, But I think this is a magical anecdote worth telling. So we get into You don't want to make them wait to lis listen to it on the other episode? No, I think we'll give some highlights here. I okay, think. okay. So we get into Copenhagen, we drop our stuff off, and then we go to catch a train up to this Louisiana Art Museum, which is about an hour by train north of the city. Yes. And when we get to the train station, the train that we thought we were going to get, like it looks, you know, we're right on time for it, but actually there's been a huge signal malfunction. And so the train that we're getting on is one that should have left two hours ago. Everybody else has been waiting for two hours. The train is packed. And everyone was very stressed. 
in like a like a simmering way. Like no one was yeah. like pushing and in a Danish way. In a Danish way. And so it's it's very hot on there. Everyone's just standing in the aisles and we're just kind of like carrying our stuff and just uh and this friendly Danish man starts, you know, chatting with us a little bit in English. I forget what he, we even talked about, but uh, he asked us where we were going, and we said we're going to the Louisiana Museum. At some point, a seat opens up. We sit down, and then we're kind of just like, okay, this train's taking so long. And then suddenly, the man that we talked to was like, hey, if you want to get to the Louisiana Museum, this is your stop. And we're like, oh, my God. And we we almost out. missed the stop. Yeah. Amateur hour. We go to the museum. We meet up with your friend, Luke Winters, another typewriter poet. Uh, very serendipitously, just walk right into him as we're heading in. And the space is beautiful. It's right by the water. Um, there's this kind of natural amphitheater with a tent stage and then screens showing Murakami. And it's, it was just so, so, so packed with people there to see Haruki Murakami. Like, it was incredible. It was really inspiring on one hand, but then it also presented a problem because there was nowhere to sit. I mean, Murakami is like the Taylor Swift for people who carry around NPR tote bags. Like yeah, he's, <laughs> that's such he's a funny a big deal. way to say it. And the people were like really intense. They were, you know, we were trying to look for a space where we would be able to sit and not, you know, block someone's view. But we were basically just like standing next to some trash cans that there was no view to speak of of the mm -hmm. stage. And this old lady started like berating me being like, don't even think about trying to sit here. Yeah. So we went searching for another place. And I just, I was really just scanning the crowd, trying to see if there was anyone who looked like they weren't going to be like an asshole. And I see a man and and ostensibly his girlfriend, this this cute couple just laughing and, and standing in an area that had a tiny bit more breathing room. And so I said, let's go there. <laughs> yeah. And so I joined them and we all sit down and then, you know, suddenly it's someone's coming out on stage. Everyone applauds. And it's Murakami comes out and he reads a section of his newest short story or novella or whatever in Japanese. So he reads it in Japanese and we're like, okay, you know, that's nice for the people who speak Japanese here. And then this woman comes out and then she reads it in Danish. And at this point we're like, oh my God, did we misread the program? Is this whole thing going to be in Danish? And for anyone who's wondering from the linguistic side, Speakers of Swedish do not have a very easy time understanding Danish. Danish is a very difficult to hear language. Mm -hmm. When you read it, you can kind of figure it out, but the the accent is very, very different. Yeah. So we weren't able to pick anything out. Yeah. So this dude that we're sitting next to turns around and goes, oh, do you want me to like translate and we're like you're not gonna live translate a story like but it was so sweet for him to offer if this conversation is going to be in japanese and danish like we're just in it and then somebody else comes out and says ha 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 if you thought it was going to be all in danish and japanese don't worry it's english from here on out and who is it but our friend from the train our train friend was like the host and interviewer for Haruki Murakami and it was just so funny we told the guy that was next to us we were like oh my god we know this guy and we were just laughing and so the interview was great and uh we sort of bid adieu to the the guy and his gal that were sitting next to us and headed on to our evening then the next day and so the next day we'd had a pretty full day um, at a certain point, 
I split off from you because I had to see a client and you went on a little adventure. And when you came back, we were like, okay, we want to go party, but we're kind of tired. Yeah, it was. It, it's such a disheartening feeling when you feel like you really want to go all out, but you just don't know if you have it in you. I feel like this happens in New York all the time where someone visits and you're like, yeah, let's do this huge museum. And then we're going to go to this party tonight. And after you do a huge museum, you're like, oh, wait, we're exhausted. So we're trying to figure out, we're looking at these parties. Copenhagen's expensive. And I'm like, you know, paying $35 each to get into some rave that goes until 8 a.m., but we're going to be tired at 1 a.m. I don't know. And our other friend's saying he's tired. And finally, we're like, you know what? Let's not commit to something huge. Let's just go get a beer, walk around on the street. and Just, just absorb some magical vibes. Just kind of wander around. And we're, we're kind of saying, okay, we thought this was going to be a big party night, but you know what? I think it's just going to be pretty chill. And so we meet up with uh, Scottish storyteller Luke, and we go sit on a bench for a while. And as we're walking around, we're passing all of these sidewalk cafes. And I'm, I'm, you know, they've deferred to me and said, Devin, you pick which spot. And I'm looking at all of them, and I'm like, I feel like if we just sit at a table outside at some crowded cafe, we're not going to really interact with the other tables. We're just going to kind of drink our more expensive beer when we could get one from the 7-Eleven and we're just going to get tired. So we go past cafe after cafe, and they're all pretty full. And I'm just like, no, no. And then finally, we start meandering. So we take a weird right turn, and then we're kind of getting away from the main street. And finally, we come and we run straight into uh, one of the canals. So there's there's water. There's a bridge that takes us it's to a whole— It's just such a beautiful city. —other part of the city. And we just stand there for a minute kind of going, well, what do we think we want to do? And we're there for like— what, 60 seconds? Max. When suddenly this dude just pulls up on a bike. like, like, like It, it was a, like the sound of gravel crunching under bike tires. Like, <laughs> pulls up on a bike, just like we'd all planned to meet there. And who is it but the guy that we sat next to at the Murakami event, the guy who offered to translate for us. And he's just like, oh, hey, what's up, guys? What are you doing? And we're like, we have no idea. He's like, oh. Well, I'm going to smoke this joint and go to a party. You want to go to a party? And so this and is. Audience, the answer was yes. The answer was yes, absolutely. And so this is our new friend, Madar. We uh, we go for a walk. We get caught in the rain. We end up at somebody's birthday party. And it was just one of those, almost like. Um, we walked so far. We walked very far. And during the walk, Madar told us a story like a mystical story that he's been weaving in his mind mm -hmm. for years mm -hmm. and has never written down. And the story was riveting. Yeah. And he is obviously a magical person mm -hmm. that has some sort of, I don't know, some sort of umbilical cord tying him to some other realm. Like the, he, he, he was... I'm speechless trying to describe yeah. him. And I, I hope that you guys will hear and read some of his work in the future because we've kept pen palling yeah. and we're writing back and forth now. And I'm trying to help him write down the story. Yeah, it was it was very magical. And then when we got to the bar, it was one of those things where it's like, is this going to be a crazy wild adventure? But it was just absolutely pouring. And we all just- Cats and dogs. Cats and dogs, straight rods. Uh, and we ended up just staying in this bar. But then that- created an environment where it was kind of like 
um, Canterbury Tales or one of these things where— We probably talked to every single person in the bar at some point. No one else could leave either. And I think it was exactly that kind of magic where you've sort of said, okay, you know what? We're going to have a quiet night. Nothing much is happening. We can't force it. And then poof. Adventure opens up. And we stayed out there till what, like 5 a.m.? until We were out late. And actually, Madar was like, I think he was disappointed. He was like, oh, you guys aren't going to come to the after party when we finally said we should depart to go. Like they were actually, the rain had let up and they were going to carry on. And we were like, I think this is, I think this is where our journey ends. Yeah. And so I think there's a couple more of these magical detour moments that I'd love to get through in this episode. Um the the next one that I think are wasn't on our original itinerary is um, we knew we were going to land in Stockholm and we thought we would either stay in Stockholm for a while or maybe explore somewhere else and then the I think the first real morning after we'd flown in slept yeah, and then the yeah. next morning when we went out for coffee we passed a car that just you know caught our eye. And it was a cute little Mini Cooper that had a vanity plate. And what did the vanity plate say? Fodobule. Fodobule. Fodobule, which we're like, what is that? We go to the cafe, some guy starts chatting with us, and then we see the car drive by, and Lisa Ann goes, oh my God, that's the car from earlier. And he goes, that's my friend. And she goes, what does that license plate mean? And what does Fodobule mean? It means someone who lives on the island of Fora. It's like citizen of Fora. Mm -hmm. And so this woman hops out of her car and she's got a sweatshirt with writing on it. What does that say? Well, first of all, I just want everyone to know it was Comic Sans. Yeah. (laughs) And it said... I don't need therapy. I'm going back to Fora. Yeah. Which is pretty hilarious. I want to give mad yes. props. And it it almost reminds me a little bit because I, uh, I, I grew up in New England and going to vacation in Maine. You'd see kind of similar things where it's like, don't talk to me. I'm at Kenny Bunkport or something <laughs> like that. But we chatted with them and they were like, oh, yeah, Florida is this magical island at the northern tip of Gotland. It's super remote. It's this really cool spot. And so after we kind of wound down our wizardly weekend in Stockholm, we were like, we've had a, a good amount of city. We're kind of ready for something else. And we said, let's let's go to Gotland. And for those who don't know. It was so perfect, too, because it was like sort of on the way. We had left a few days very flexible where we could take like a little road trip or something mm-hmm. to get down to the retreat. It was kind of like midway point. It was easy to come in from the ferry from the north and then actually take the ferry going west to mm-hmm. leave. So it just worked on the route really well. Yeah, it was just a nice little angle. And so Gotland is an island, a large island that is... It's the biggest Swedish island. That is off of Sweden's eastern coast in the uh, Baltic Sea. Mm-hmm. And we took this big old ferry out there. And before we left, people had told us about Medeltidsveka, which is... Middle Ages Week. Middle Ages Week. But everyone had been like, oh, but it's already over. Oh, that's such a bummer. And we're on the boat and we're looking around and like, there's not a ton, but there's definitely some people wearing medieval peasant garb. It's like, wow, did other people also get the week wrong? Or do people like, you know, go out to Gotland and just Middle Ages attire every week? And then we show up and we're like, oh, it's... 
definitely middle teens Becca. Like right now, this is full swing. So Visby is this adorable medieval village. Um, it's got I would a lot go of, back to Visby and like spend a whole week there. It was so cool. It's got all of these church ruins and old buildings and things that are really leaning on that. But not in the way that like an American or even UK like tourist destination would. It wasn't like everything you saw it was... was very- under merchandise. There was not a gift <laughs> shop everywhere. It wasn't like get your ye old drinking horn thing. But people were really serious about wearing the Middle Ages clothes. And we asked a few people, you know, what's the deal? Where did you get your outfit? Because some of these outfits were just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And everyone that we asked was like, I sewed it myself. It's a big, it's it's kind of like an intersection between a Renaissance festival and a LARP and a historic it's a reenactment, Civil War reenactment. Like, it's a whole thing. But Families of, with little children with Middle Ages bonnets. And, yeah. oh, and I of miss course, it. It's like, we didn't know what we were coming into. We didn't, we didn't plan on this. So we're walking around and there's some sign that we come across in the middle of a square and it's got... Uh, like, you know, like a music festival where it lists all the bands, but it's got all the different activities and things that are happening. And right in the middle, an even larger font, it says... Poeta Magica. Yeah. And we're like... Literally uh, Poeta Magica. <laughs> well, the poet and the wizard feel called. And I honestly lost my shit. Yeah. It's uh, some medieval music group that's been performing for... Over 20 or 30 years, I think, uh, with really— At least 20. I think the guy was, like, in his 40s. I thought it was, like, they started in the 90s, it said, but— mm. Yeah, but maybe late 90s. But, yeah, so they they play with these really kind of cool old instruments. I don't even know the names for them. Lutes and lyres and tambourines and— I Harps. Mean, they were just such an amazing, fascinating group. I Please link to their work in the show notes because— yeah. It's beautiful, beautiful music. And we ended up getting to see them play two times in the weekend. Mm -hmm. We're apparently super fans, I guess. One time in a candle-lit pub over locally made mead. Mm -hmm. uh, It was like their kind of impromptu, very immersive, almost like practice play concert. And then the next day or the day after, I can't remember now, uh, in a... 1100s church ruin yeah. on a stage with a rapt audience, which they almost didn't let us into because it was so sold out, but we managed to finagle, finagle our, our way in. spot. And what was great is, I guess podcast listeners might assume that I go out in wizard robes every single day, but that's not <laughs> true. Sometimes I just want to wear a wizard t-shirt and be a little bit more low profile, but I had my wizard robes with me on this trip. So when we're like, oh, we're at Medieval Times Week, let's go. So you pulled together a very nice... uh, Somehow I had decided I wanted to go kind of like Renaissance boho for my overall wardrobe for the trip. You looked like the girl with the pearl earring. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I had floor-length robes and gowns and headscarves and stuff and and all different colors. So it went so well with your green and gold and purple too. And I was full wizard and this crowd is not doing a lot of anachronism. Like they're not trying, you know, no one's walking around as a wizard aside from me. Yeah, They they were doing like more like we are peasants in this time, not like I'm an elf from a movie. I'm, I am Harry Potter or something. Yeah. I saw a few elf ears, but they were pretty subtle. But anyways, uh, that was amazing. 
And then the people loved your robes, Devin. I mean, like, mo- like one random guy came up to him and was like, "Oh my god, this is the best outfit of the entire festival." I was like, I translated for Devin because he <laughs> said it really fast. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and I think um, if you want to hear about our adventure in Fora, listen to the the Patreon episodes. Well, I just want to say one thing about Fora, if okay. I can. Sure. Um, you know, Fora was the North Star that was pulling us to Gotland in general. Right. And we had mentioned in the prequel episode something about Ingmar Bergman and watching mm, his mm-hmm. movies and stuff. And then going to Fora where he has uh, had had his his home and his center of artistic creation. And he was so passionate about there. Um, getting to kind of come full circle on that from what our original kind of like offhanded, we hadn't planned to go there, you know? Right. And it was, it almost felt like a little bit of a breadcrumb. And now I, I've learned about a really cool artist residency mm-hmm. with the Bergman Center. And I think I would love to incorporate that into our next trip. Planning that scene. And I, and I will I will say, we talked to uh, a friend before we went to Fora and we're like, oh, should we do the Bergman Museum? And they're like, eh, because it's a house mainly, and I've seen this where it's like, how exciting is it you to go to? You kind of need to be like a super, super fan to want to see like, this is the last paper he touched. Yeah, I think in Western Mass, there's like Emily Dickinson's house. And it's like, okay, you could like Emily Dickinson's writing, but a house is a house. And so I wasn't planning on doing a Bergman activity, but we did end up watching when we were just cuddled up on a sheep farm. Uh his documentary photo document 1979 and that was so cool i thought to be in a place watching a movie about a place giving us deeper access and information Mm. transcending time you know we're not we couldn't have had that experience because it took place in the late 70s so we were seeing but like merely a stone's throw away in the physical space Mm -hmm. it was really wonderful i highly recommend anyone using that that tool when they're traveling, especially something that's kind of like from a different era or something. Yeah. I, I remember that years ago of realizing that if, especially if you're getting ready for a trip, read, you're not going to read a lonely planet book cover to cover. Like it's speak for yourself. It's, it's, it's not the same. Or even if, even if you do, you don't absorb it as reading a work of fiction there. So if you're getting ready to go to London reading a book that's set in London kind of gives you a feel for the places and it makes it a little exciting when you get there and you go, oh, I know where that is. I've read about that in the book that I was reading. Even if it was just like a fun, soapy murder mystery, it still, I think, connects you. So yeah, watching a film of a place in a place is a is a ritual. Now, do you know what our final uh, detour, unexpected magic that I'm going to want to talk about is? Oodable. Yeah, but how do we get there? Do you want to do you want to talk about the surprise you planned? No, I don't want to talk about it. You sure? Yeah. You sure? Can I talk about it? No. Why do we have to talk about it? I'm embarrassed. Well, here we're going to need to edit at this point. Um No. <laughs> I don't want to edit it out. I am embarrassed. Okay. I tried to plan a surprise for Devin. He had talked about really wanting to get to take advantage of the whole Almanzret thing and spend a night or two out in nature, you know, really roughing it, not not glamping or staying in some sort of, you know, cabin in the woods that has all of the creature comforts, et cetera. So we had a day between two places and I told him, don't 
don't worry about it. Don't think about it. I'm going to find something. And I found uh, like a hobbit village, like a super, super rustic hobbit village in the deep, deep, deep middle of the woods. And they made it clear that you needed to bring your own linens and your own food and your own drinking water. And there was no electricity. There was just a pizza oven. So we were going to make pizza in the pizza oven and just cuddle up by a fire and sleep like little hobbits. Uh, But when we arrived there, it became clear that I had not 100% understood the, the nature of like really bare bones accommodations. There was just two slabs of wood to sleep on. There was no mattress of any kind. And it was a little chilly during that weekend. And there were, there were not even any like pans or cooking utensils of any kind, which hadn't been clear. And we just looked around and the place was so beautiful. He'll share pictures. Uh, but we just thought we can't sleep here and, and enjoy this. There's just no way that this is going to work. And I felt really sad. Um, I, I think I've had, we've both had times where we've tried to surprise each other before and it just doesn't quite work out. Yeah. Um, and we put a little bit too much pressure on it as well. And I was really sad, but I realized, you know, as we mentioned before, we we budgeted well for the trip. Losing a night for a stay in a Hobbit village is not going to be the end of the world. We have a fully charged electric vehicle. We still have multiple hours of daylight left. We're not screwed here. Um, And Devin, you were obviously like, you were just, you were so kind and so sweet and didn't make me feel any worse than I already did. And so we just pulled ourselves together and said, let's find somewhere else to stay. Well, and let me share my version because you've, you're like, this night I've got a plan. And I was like, okay, great. And then I could tell you were starting to get stressed and you were like, okay, well, I have to tell you, like, I booked this thing and then. Now they're telling me that we need to bring sheets. We have to find sheets somewhere and we probably need a blanket. And we're like, okay, but we're not going to buy a comforter and then lug a duvet all over Sweden. So, okay, what what is the situation? And I think we were thinking that it was going to be a little bit more like a rustic cabin, but not a... Uh, like- I just thought that there would be... A mattress. Yes. For a double bed. Yes. I don't know why I assumed it was a double bed because there's not a lot of double beds in Sweden. Yeah. And a, an outdoor kitchen with utensils. Yeah. If those two things would have been there, we would have rocked it. Whereas this was more like one of those um, pavilions, you know, in a campground where there's picnic tables. You can bring your own barbecue and have a little hangout. And then they were very cool because they were covered in moss, but there were these like, little tiny buried huts and there's a fireplace and it's pitch black in there and there's wood slabs and we had gotten a tarp picnic blanket because we're like oh if we don't use it tonight we'll at least be able to have it for picnics it was not going to work as a blanket and i was well it it would have worked potentially as a blanket wrapped around us sharing a bed because then we would have been cuddled up maybe maybe i'm just saying I don't know why I'm trying to defend our shitty preparation, but I just feel so uncomfortable about this because I just am so hard on myself sometimes. But I think fucking up is really valuable. I think the fuck up was actually such a beautiful gift because we were able to care for each other and you did a good job of that. And then say, you know what? Like I can tell that you have this idea. This is a really cool space. I'm glad I saw it. But 
we're going to appreciate it a lot more if we're not shivering here at three in the morning. And so let's go. And we were supposed to go to this little magical artist village of Udabo the next day to meet um, podcast listener James's friend Luis. And who's an incredible poet. Who's an incredible poet. Um, so we were going to go have a little coffee with her in the morning. But then when we got on our phones and we're like, okay, are we going to stay in, you know, the Swedish version of a Motel 6 or just this random thing? We realized there was a cool tiny house in Udabo. So we're like. It was incredible. It was like I had actually wanted to have the time to stay in Udabo anyway, mm-hmm. but there was no a formal accommodation there. And so I had, le- you know let that dream fall by the wayside. And then all of a sudden there's this adorable hand-built cottage that's available for the night for like $45. Yeah. And so again, Udabo has this factory that uh, was a textile factory, I think, that then went out of business at some point. And then in the late 90s, uh, artists kind of started moving there. It became kind of a slightly cooler area, though still pretty rural, funky vibe. And that's continued. And now they've turned the factory into studio space. There's a pizza restaurant that's only open on the weekends. And there's little farms. There's a tiny house village. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff, including an intentional community called Vardhuset World House. And so when we got into Udabo, um, after deciding we weren't going to sleep in a ditch, we reached out to Louise and she's like, I'm busy tonight, but there's a dance event happening at Varhuset. You can go check that out and you can hear the full version on the Patreon. But we ended up in this really cool studio doing ecstatic dance contact improv. Um, with-, with four strangers and just laughing and cackling like birds and running around swinging each other in the air just like it was so cathartic such a perfect release after the tension of of messing up the surprise earlier and then we just walked through the whole village and just had the most beautiful night and somehow made do with the camping food I had bought eating Mm -hmm. it in the little house (laughs) and a house with a mattress and blankets plumbing electricity everything yeah And so I think at this point we can kind of tie things up and I think there's some themes here that I want to really just highlight bold underscore where one of them is being open. Like we were open with the Murakami thing. We were just going with the flow. We were open, not knowing where we're going to end up. And so sometimes surprise just comes out and the magic finds you. There's other times where it's about following those breadcrumbs. It's about that signal of saying, hey, <laughs> that's a weird synchronicity that we saw the license plate and then and then we met the person and then each thing led to the next. That's so cool and just being willing to trust that. And other times it's the fuck up. It's the thing where you're trying to do one thing and it implodes on you and then you have to go in another direction and being able to quickly respond. Cause I think if we had forced ourselves to sleep out there out of some point of pride or in our despair, we'd just gone for the lowest common denominator. We wouldn't have had the same magical experience as if we took a moment to really say, wait, hold on. There's an opportunity here. Even a pivot can be intentional. Yeah. And I think this, this is the final 
episode of this first Swedish series, but this whole podcast has been about creating a container for this trip. We started with our plan and our past self gave us the gift of those reservations, those points of contact, that retreat, those things that we knew. And then as we had conversations, as we connected with Shelby Sinka, Tony Hatters, with um, all of the wonderful artists, River that were at the retreat, Vanessa Sinclair, Carl Abrahamson, um, Gabriella Jeans, and then speaking with uh, Karine Vallis at the retreat, and then Ida Boreal and Malmo, these other contacts really filled things in. And now we're able to look back and see those final pieces, those deviations, those surprises, those unexpected twists, and that creates the entire experience. I'm remembering how uh, in our preview episode, we took a moment to receive the positive intention from the future version of ourselves. Exactly. And so I wanted to make sure that we did that. That's exactly what we're going to do right now. Okay. So how should we do that? Oh, well, I mean, it was kind of just a moment of silence in the preview. Yeah. Um. Oh, well, it would be cute if we gave our ourselves like a piece of advice because like they were being, our past selves were being quiet. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, so like we'll listening. Be so we could each share something that we'd like them to hear. Yeah. You want to go first or second? Second. Second. Well, the gift I'm going to send back in time is this idea of breadcrumbs. Ask people, when you find interesting people, ask them what you should do next. When you do the interesting thing they recommend, ask someone there what you should do next. Follow the breadcrumb trail. I think maybe the crucial thing that I want to send back is a little bit of strength and diligence to both of us uh, for helping us really start the trip off on the right foot when we were in Stockholm and we had that first moment of frustrated disconnection. And instead of just like, bottling that up or blaming each other or letting it become a big thing. We actually took, I don't know, we took like a four hour nap break, reset, rebuild session. We were also extremely jet lagged. So it's not like we were going to do anything anyway, but we took the time to deeply investigate the discomfort and build some strategies for how to I mean, really carve a path forward and, and to fill our kits with the tools to make sure that we could be focused on what mattered during the trip, which was our love. And it would have been so easy to just not do that. It was a very, it was, a, it, it took a concerted effort and took both of us really leaning into being vulnerable to open up and, and dig in there in the uncomfortable place. And that set us up for being able to have the stamina to follow the breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to send that, that like resilient, gritty, loving strength back. So I'm going to borrow the uh, magic words of the great wizard, Gilly Sunshine, so we can send that energy back. Wish wish And so the last thing that I want to say to tie this all up in a little bow, is I think a magical quest, like almost all magic, is about setting intentions, dismantling expectations, and opening yourself up to possibility. And 
you did this for us in a very special way, where in that first episode, you set the intention of saying, I want to get a tattoo while we're in Sweden. And we didn't really have an expectation of exactly how we were going to do and what that was going to be and blah, blah, blah. And instead, our listener and podcast ritual participant, Shelby Sinka, said, oh, I'll make that happen. Yeah, here's an awesome tattoo artist. It's called delegating. (laughs) Well, not even. It's like he took it and ran with it. He found a tattoo artist that he loved and knew and wanted us to meet and reached out to me and started coordinating that. And when we arrived in Gothenburg, the first thing that we did was head to Gothenburg Classic Tattooing to meet Henke and to get tattooed. And of all of the possible... I love my tattoo so much. All of the possible versions of us that could exist. If you think of that moment at the beginning of this podcast ritual series, when you say, I want a tattoo, there's a future version where you have a tattoo of the Swedish flag, where I have a tattoo of a gnome, where there's all kinds of different tattoos that we could have gotten. I would not get a Swedish flag. (laughs) I know. But now we have the tattoos that we have. So will you quickly describe the tattoo that you have in this timeline of slightly better reality? Yeah, in this timeline, I have a beautiful water flower, which is a lotus if you look at it one way, or a water lily if you look at it the other way. Kind of like a rabbit duck situation. Kind of. (laughs) And above it in beautiful uh, kind of Baroque script is the phrase that I uh, came up with, feel the future. I love it. And I have Runic knuckle tattoos. Runic knuckle tattoos that say, don't know, a celebration of my agnostic fundamentalism. And I think these two phrases really come together nicely because Mm -hmm. I don't know what's in store for us ahead in our lives, in Sweden, in the world. But I can tell you right now that I'm already starting to feel the future. (laughs) Me too.